Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcast. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else, however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. We on? Yeah, we are. Great. Okay. Yeah, got a couple things. So you came back, huh? Somebody tricked you into coming back. <laughs> exactly, busted again. <laughs> there we go. So, a little product endorsement. Flog a few more books, eat another day. So, this one is about moving out from under religion into a relationship. Now, we all pay lip service to the fact that we have a relationship with God, but much of the time, for most of us, we treat it like a religion. There's something coming between us and God. Religion is when there's an intermediary between us and God. and Usually the intermediary is composed of rituals and rules. And we tend to see our worth and our belonging through how well we keep the rituals and the rules. The rituals and rules vary from subculture to subculture and from religion to religion. But what religion has in common all over the world is that there's rules and rituals to perform. And if you do it, you gain standing. Maybe if you do it perfectly and say, in some of the Eastern religions, you might take 100 lifetimes as various forms of you know, animals or whatever before you finally achieve what it takes to be righteous and be acceptable to God. And we Christians look down on that, as we should, because it's wrong. But we do somewhat the same thing with our traditions and our rules and regulations. We see our belonging through the lens of our performance, which has only two possible outcomes. When your performance in your own mind is very good, you become self-righteous, which is the worst disease that can happen to a human soul. But for most of us, we don't become self-righteous. We tend to see ourselves more accurately, and we realize we are failures. And the rules are effective to convict us of our failure and make us feel miserable. So life under the law really only has two outcomes. And I don't mean the Jewish law. I mean law as legalism, as a way of seeing our belonging. And it, it struck me as like really, really fundamentally wrong to see our relationship with God that way. It's, it's a relationship, not a religion. So I set out to try to as much as possible, analyze and define our faith as a relationship, not a religion, and see where that would take us. So that was the adventure of this book. And it sounds really serious, and it is, but it'll make you laugh a lot. But I also hope it'll make you cry with the right kind of tears. So that's what that one is about. And then my friend Bob and I were sitting around one lunch. He's a pastor in San Diego. And we were talking about all the messes that we had seen associated with prophetic ministry. And just the, the, the dumbness, the abusive ways that it can be used in people's lives. And we were really frustrated, and we were just kind of venting with one another. And one of us, I don't know who, I think he said, well, we should write a book about that. We should write a book about how to do it the right way. And I thought, I've been meaning to do something like that for a long time. So we set out to do it together. It was really an adventure. It was actually a really fun project. So we did it, and the goal for me was to 
ask myself every question I've ever had about prophetic ministry and the things that bothered me about it and address those questions carefully. And also to put myself in the mind of, of um, good-hearted evangelicals. I thought, I used to be one, and I thought this was all just foolishness. Why did I think it was foolishness? And I wanted to address the questions I had then and that, that a good-hearted evangelical would have about prophetic ministry to try to correct our thinking in ways to uh, make it better. And the book came about for that reason. But in the writing of it, I realized what we're doing here is we're creating a training manual to try to address every question about the prophetic and, and try to set it on a firm foundation. And especially how it interacts with leadership gifts in the local church. Most of the reason why prophecy is not welcomed in most churches is because it's bad prophecy. It's being done under an Old Testament model of prophetic ministry, not the New Testament model of prophetic ministry. So we set out to talk about that. So it becomes kind of like a, a training manual, really, in hopefully how to do it right. I hope we're getting closer to that with this book. But that's what it's about. So um, if you like it, if you like the idea, buy a book. If not, Shelley and I just won't eat for another week. But no, no manipulation. Oh, no, we would, never, we would never resort to anything like that. Okay, so are you ready for tonight? This is going to be some, some of what's in the book. We're going to go through, and we're going to look at five or six, maybe seven ways that God will um, often communicate to us. We have a, an expression we use in charismatic circles. We say, the Lord told me. The Lord told me. You know, the Lord told me. And that's a shorthand amongst us for a much larger paragraph. And the larger paragraph is that God communicates to me from time to time in a very, a various, various ways. He doesn't, how, how often, have you, anyone here heard the audible voice of God? Have you? I stand in awe. <laughs> I never have. And I've talked to people that have. And it's an awesome experience. But God's communication with me is different. It's often a random thought that pops into my mind that when I think about it is more loving than I am, more patient than I am, more gracious and gentle than I am, better than me. And I think, that's not me. I'm inherently selfish. That's a really nice thought. That's a great idea. It's not the devil. He doesn't give us ideas like that. It's not me. I'm not that good. That only leaves one other source. Maybe the source of that thought running through my head was actually God. So maybe I should start paying a whole lot more attention to the random thoughts that pop into my head. And then it's well beyond thoughts. Sometimes your imagination gets involved and you find yourself imagining something and you think, why am I imagining that? And you, and, and you find out in retrospect, that thing I was imagining this morning in my quiet time happened tonight. That's happened to me a couple times. It is the most uncanny, weird thing, but it turned out to be God. So there's all these interesting ways that God communicates to us. And if we will begin to pay greater attention to them, we'll find ourselves hearing from him more and more often. And the more and more often we hear from him, the more we will experience his supernatural power because he's guiding us into divine appointments. He's guiding us into encounters which are going to have his fingerprints all over that encounter. And when that happens to you, more and more, it's so encouraging. You're in cahoots with God. You're actually in cahoots with God. And things that seemed accidental aren't accidental. Isn't that a cool thought? That he can, he can interfere <laughs> with your day at any point in time and direct you into something that you are so excited about, you walk on eggshells. I want to tell you a story. It was about five years ago. I had to go in for a CAT scan, a radiological CAT scan. So when I went, had the CAT scan, and the nurse said, you need to go drink some water right away. Uh, get the radiological stuff out of your system. So I'm walking through the foyer of, of the medical offices, and... 
I see this guy, this, this young guy, he's about maybe, I don't know, 21, 22, and he's loading up the water machine over in the kiosk area. So I went over to him and I said, excuse me, but I need to drink some water. Can I buy one of your waters before you put it in the machine? I just want it right now. And he said, yeah, sure. So he sold me the water and I start drinking it. And I'm walking across the foyer and this thought says, go back and tell him about me. And I think, that's probably God. So I said, no, I don't want to. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, who wants to embarrass themselves one more time with some stranger? So I said, I don't want to do that. So I kept walking, and I got to the doors, and I put my hand on the door to leave, and the thought said, go back and tell them about me. And I said, I don't want to. So I got out, and I walked across, and I was going to step off the curb, and the thought in my head said, go back and tell them about me. And this is the third time, and it's getting annoying. So now I enter into a conversation with God, and I said... Every morning, I get up, and I tell you that you own my life. And I tell you that I will do anything you want me to do. And then you ask me to do one simple thing, like talk to this kid, and I don't want to do it. This was a confession at this point. <laughs> so so I, said, I said, okay, I'll do it, but look, it's awkward. Throw me a bone. Tell me how I should start this conversation. And the thought said, go back and ask him if in the last 10 days he has been wondering how he can know me. And I thought, that's interesting. So I went back to him and I said, excuse me, um, I'm the guy that bought the water from you. And he said, yeah, yeah, right. And I said, look, I, I said, uh, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but I said, I'm a Christian, and sometimes I think God communicates to me about people. And I'm pretty sure that he told me to come back here and ask you a question. Do you want to know the question? Look, they never say no. Because it's about them. And God's maybe saying something about them. So he said, what is it? And I said, well, he told me to ask you this question. Uh, in the last 10 days, uh, have you been wondering how you can know him? He said, Yes. I said, do you want to know how to know him right now? He said, yes. I said, okay, well, it's really simple. You know, there is a God, he's good. You are you, you're bad. That creates a problem between you. You can't fix it. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. Will you accept him as, as your savior and will you follow him for the rest of your life? Yes, 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 yes. Ding. Led him to the Lord. Oh, it gets way better. This, that's simple. This is the part that rocked my world. Listen to me. This is the part that rocked my world. And I said, okay, look, I counseled them. You've got to find a church that loves Jesus and talks about him all the time. You've got to get a Bible, and you've got to get into a small group of Christians where you can talk and be known, and you can grow. Yes, he goes, yes, yes, yes. And, uh, he, and I said, in passing, I said, you know, he wants to know you a lot more than you want to know him. And all of a sudden, he just sort of jerks it, and he looks at me, he goes, that explains it. And I said, that explains what? And he said, 10 days ago, I was at the market, and this old man, probably my age, this desperately old man, came up to me. I didn't know him. He came up to me, said, son, God wants to know you. And he walked away. And he said, four days later, at the same market, this old lady came up to me and she said, son, God says don't leave your wife. I said, are you married? He said, yeah. I said, for how long? He said, oh, about almost a year. I said, were you thinking about leaving your, life, your wife? He said, yes. I said, are you still going to leave your wife? He said, not now. <laughs> this is good. So I got in a car. I mean, like, I'm walking on clouds here. This is like cahoots with God. Really fun. So I'm driving home, and I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. Think about this now. This is cool. I'm thinking about the old man. Old man goes to his Bible study group after the encounter at the market, and the Bible study leader says, anybody got an interesting God encounter story to tell? And the old man says, yeah. He says, uh, you know, I was at the market, and I saw this young man. And I thought God said to me uh, to tell him that God wants to know him. And the Bible study leader says, what did you do? And the old man says, well, I walked up to him and told him, 
God wants to know him. Well, you led him to the Lord, didn't you? Uh, no. Why not? I don't know. I just told him what God told me to tell him. And the old man feels like a failure. And then the old lady goes to her Bible study group, and the leader says, any, any, anything happened this week unusual? And she says, yeah, I, I think God told me to tell this kid at the market not to leave his wife. Well, did you? Yeah. Well, I hope you explained the plan of salvation to him. You did that, didn't you? No, I just, I just said what I thought God told me to say. Think about it, okay? Seed planted, seed planted, harvest. We all just did the thing that we thought God told us to do. God's in charge of the results. We don't have to oversell. We just do the thing that God gave us to do. Isn't that exciting? It can be the simplest little thing. But when God prompts you to do it, and it's in God's timing, it's part of God's plan, and we're going to see his results. So, let's talk about the ways. Oh, um, the deal for tonight is, if anything I'm saying is unclear or doesn't make sense, you just interrupt. And you say, excuse me, but I don't understand what you're talking about. Or can you explain that a different way? Or what about this? Or what about what the Bible says here? This is open season. You come after me. If something doesn't make sense, I expect you to correct me. And I'll, I'll accept it graciously. All right? Okay. Now, everybody, I said this this morning, everybody has the Holy Spirit living in them, correct? So everybody has every gift of the Holy Spirit living in them, correct? Correct? So from time to time, we should be willing to engage ourselves in every one of the spiritual gifts if that's what God wants to do, if that's what he prompts us to do. But Paul says, of all the spiritual gifts, what's his attitude towards prophecy? What, what's Eagerly desire. The word eagerly means passionately with action. Go out there and go after the gift of prophecy. Why? What's so important about a word from the Lord? Why does it have, why does Paul put it above all the other gifts? Because he really is doing that. He's putting it above all eagerly. Do them all, but really go after this one. Why? I puzzled with that question for the longest time. And I was in Houston a long time ago at the Houston Vineyard. And it was a Wednesday night. And we were doing a prophetic, we're doing these materials. And, uh, and, I, and we'd done it. And I said, okay, now it's time we're going to try it. We're going to do this later. Where they split up with the person in the room they know the least. And they pair up and they don't say anything to each other. They don't, don't introduce themselves. They just sit down, men to men, women to women, and wait on the Lord to see what he wants to say to the person that they're with. And we'd gone over five or six ways that God communicates, which we're going to do. One of the ways is with a, with a word. Or a sentence, like in English, like go to the mountain or something, whatever. And I explained all this. And I said, okay, now it's time to pair off. And people started, and I said, find the person in the room you know the least. It works best where you don't have a clue about the person you're praying for. Then your, your natural knowledge doesn't get in the way of what God might want to say. So people were pairing off, and as we were doing it, I noticed this young guy up at the, it's sloped, the room sloped. And I noticed this kid standing by the door up there. And there was another kid, about the same age, maybe 20, 21, sitting down here in the corner in the first row. And they hadn't paired off. And everyone else was pairing off. And this guy seemed like he was a stranger. He was standing by the door through the whole thing. He never even sat down. So maybe he was bolting, you know, one foot in, one foot out. So I said, young man, you up there by the door, why don't you come down and, and uh, partner up with this guy over here? So they came down, but they were the last ones to do it. And I watched them, and they just sat down, and they did what they were supposed to do. They just sat there and closed their eyes and waited. And uh, when God's going to speak in a context like that, it usually is under a minute. You know, everyone's like scrunching themselves up to get a word from the Lord. You don't have to do that. If he's going to speak, it's going to come to you pretty quick, usually within a minute. So we wait about five minutes, and then, okay, you tell your story, why you think what you think God said to you for him, and then you tell him what you think God said for him, and you have time to share. So we did that. 
And then I said, let's do a reality check. Let's, let's invite anyone that thinks they really heard from God. You can come up here with your partner, and you can explain to us why you think you really heard from God. And people started coming up. It was really cool. Like uh, one woman uh, said, um, I'm from, uh, I think it was Columbia, and my mother is really sick, and I wanted to go down to see her, but it means going on an airplane, and I have a terrible fear of flying, and I didn't want to go. And I said, what did she get for you? She said, well, first she got the word fear, and then she had a vision of an airplane. That's, that's pretty good. And they prayed together, and the woman's fear went away, and she said, yeah, I'm, gonna make the, I'm going down. I'm making my, my fare. So there was these really cool connections like this, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is really working. And then these two guys down here, we got one, we got one, and brought him up, the first guy, and I said, what did he say to you? And he said, just one word. And I'm thinking, oh, this is where the evening crashes. How could one word possibly be significant as from the Lord? But you got to go through with it. So I said, well, what was it? And he said, well, just one word. He said, uh, the Lord said to me, John. And I said, okay, why does that matter to you? And he said, my name is John. And I said, did you introduce yourself to him before you waited? He said, no. I said, why is that so important to you? Why is this significant? And this is what he said. For the last, I don't know, three to six months, I've been believing that God has forgotten my name. (laughs) It's not, not the coolest thing, but it gets better. Then I said, okay. I called the other guy up. I said, what did he say to you, Michael? What's your name, Michael? No way. Seriously, I mean, it's like, I think God did that for me, not for them. I think I'm in a learning thing here, like, we, pres- we, we will dismiss some prophetic words because they're too simple. They're just too simple. I was in Toronto and part of the ministry team, and there was um, 5,000 people at the conference. And, you know, they taped tape on the floor to line the people up that are going to get a prophetic word. And I'm on a ministry team of 500 people, ministering to thousands of people. And you start at the beginning and start giving prophetic words. And by the time you get 50, 60 people in, you are exhausted. You're just done. And I come across, I'm, I'm, I'm wasted. I'm like, I'm realizing my tank's empty. I'm just going to be blethering stuff now. I don't know what it is. And there's this little girl, well, she's in her, she's about 28 and, and blonde hair, and, and she's like in the I will receive position, you know, like the, the beatific smile and the hands are open, like give me a word from the Lord. And I come up in front of her, and I'm, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? And this is what he says. Tell her I like her. I said, I said she's probably driven for four hours to get here. And this is her moment to get a word from the Lord, and you want to tell her you like her. And he goes, tell her I like her. I said, I can't do that. I mean, it's, it's cheesy. Like, it's, it's, it's not very deep. Tell her I like her. Yeah, give me something that's, like, really cool. But he said, tell her I like her. Man, you guys, it took me a long time to get up the courage. I said, I, have, I think I have a word from the Lord from you. It's, Big smile, like, here it comes. This is going to be really good. I'm going to write a, world, I'm going to write a worship song that goes around the world. You know, I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to start a women's ministry that goes into 300 countries. Yeah, give it to me. And I said, the Lord says, he likes you. And she gets this puzzled look on her face. And then she starts to weep. I mean, and it's not happy tears. It's brokenness. She just starts crying. And I think, what have I done? This is an innocuous, pointless, silly little word. There's nothing to this. What's going on? And she starts crying like crazy. And then she falls on the ground. And she's just weeping. And I'm thinking, what have I done? This is terrible. So I get down on the floor on all fours. And I put my head down right, right, right beside her ear. And I said, God, what are you doing? I mean, this is, this is bad. And he says, 
Tell her I like her when she's not being religious. Tell her I like her when she's doing the sewing projects that she loves to do. Tell her I like her when she's walking in the woods behind her house. Tell her I like her when she's not trying to be special and she's not trying to please me. Tell her I really like her. So I start telling her this. I mean, she goes into like spasms of pain. She's just weeping like crazy and I'm thinking, this is terrible. And all of a sudden, she starts to laugh. And then she just laughs and laughs and laughs and laughs and all the tears are gone. That goes on for about 15 minutes. And then she stops and she opens her eyes and I help her up and she says, you need to know something. I said, what? She said, my husband for the last three years has been telling me there is nothing to like about me and no one could like me. She said, I know God loves me, but I believe he doesn't like me. And she said, this has changed everything. See, it's like we don't judge the word. Because we don't understand the significance of the word. We just give what we think we got and we leave it alone. So, mental images. Oftentimes, especially in the beginning, back in the day, praying for the sick and stuff and and trying to learn to follow God's lead, mental images will come to your mind in the middle of prayer. An image of which makes no sense to you. So we, we begin to judge it and say, oh, that's kind of dumb, you know, that's kind of stupid, that doesn't mean anything. <coughs> we have to have the courage to just plain give it. Okay? You get a mental image, you don't say, thus saith the Lord, this is the picture I'm seeing, you know that. You just say, I'm getting something, I don't know if it's from God or not, but can I share it with you? Most of the time they say yes. We were doing a training meeting like this back in the day in Canada on a Sunday night, just like this. There was a bunch of people in the room, and there was a new woman that was sitting like, um, okay, Tammy, you're the new woman, and you're Laurel, and you're Joy, okay? New woman, Laurel, and Joy. And we prayed and asked the Lord to give us mental pictures, because that night we were working on mental pictures, and people started popping off with things, and when it fits someone else in the room, they paired off and went to pray. Like one guy says... I see a picture of a big desk, a big, big business, like really beautiful desk. And on the desk is a leather bag tied like this with a dollar sign on it, like in cartoons, the bag of money. It's like, he said, so on the desk is this bag of money with the dollar sign. And I said, does this mean anything to anyone here? And this guy in the back puts up his hand. He's a world-class effluence engineer. He did the Singapore airport, which is a big deal. And he's in a massive engineering, worldwide engineering firm. And he said, my firm is going to the bank on Tuesday for financing. And if we don't get it, more than 1,000 engineers are going to get laid off. Okay, good coincidental thing. Okay, bag of money, this guy, you go pray about this. So people are pairing off and off they go. Well, it comes down to there's only maybe six or seven people left. There's a few people over here. There's Laurel and the new woman, and Joy. And Laurel says, I see a cat. Uh, This is another one of those, this is not going anywhere. (laughs) Does anyone here claim cat? Anyone with a sick cat? Anyone? Anyone? Nice try, thank you. Next. And Joy behind the new lady, says, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but since Laurel said she got a cat, I got a bear, a big brown bear standing up on its legs like this. Anyone here have a pet bear who's sick? Anyone, anyone? (laughs) You know, a bear we should be praying for. Anyone, anyone? Nobody, of course, says a word. But now there's nobody left. There's only a few people left. So I said to the new lady, I said, "Uh, this is your first time here. And she said, yeah. And I said, did you come wanting prayer? And she said, yes. And I said, well, we'll make sure you get prayer before you go home. I said, Laurel and Joy, would you please go pray with the new lady? So we've got the cat and the bear praying for the new lady. Off they go. 45 minutes later, Joy comes back, and she is lit. 
I mean, we're talking the sort of Moses like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you won't believe it. Oh my God, you're not going to believe this. This is unbelievable. You're not going to believe it. I said, what, what can you make out of the cat and the bear and the new lady, right? <laughs> so she says, you won't believe it. I said, what? She said, she's Russian. Her nickname that her parents gave her in Russian is Cat. Her last name is Bear. The Lord named her in a room full of strangers with stupid mental images that we should never share because they're stupid and they're embarrassing. So we should never, ever share anything that might be God. Question. So if you're confronting the new lady, yeah. she's probably nervous being put on the spot. She didn't acknowledge any of those names. No. What took it for her to finally say, well, that must be for me? I think when she got in the presence of two loving women that were being gracious and kind and patient and gentle and listening, maybe it started to come out, and she put it together, and they all got lit, and they all got in the Holy Spirit, and she got blessed. But just the trouble, the trouble that he will go to, to reach one person. I have not forgotten your name. You matter to me. That he'll send representatives to go and talk to a total stranger and tell them something from the Lord just to let them know he loves them. That draws them a little bit closer to the encounter with God. That that draws them to salvation maybe. Who knows? But listen, if he's willing to do it, shouldn't we cooperate? Right? So, you wait, you get a mental image. It might be indigestion. I don't know. But it doesn't matter because we're people that take kingdom risks. Right? We're people who are willing to look foolish for the sake of God. So, you get one, what do you do? I just told you. Yeah, and how do you share it? Thus saith the Lord. Just tell them what you saw. Just tell them what you saw. Another question. Right. You analyze it so you can throw it away. Uh Well, not necessarily, but now I've been thinking they come so fast that I'm like, this is all Shauna. This is kind of selfish. This is self-righteous. Like, so how do you know when you hold and you wait? Like, you don't know. You don't know. This is what we got to get comfortable with. If, well, not, no, look, you guys, you just, it's the risk thing. You just got to take a shot. See, God's more thrilled with you taking a shot than always being right. He can handle you being wrong. He's not, it doesn't shame him when you're wrong. That's you. He's okay with differentiating. Well, they're, they're my children, but they're stupid. <laughs> I, have, I have birthed stupid children. You know, my son is an honor roll student at Wack Wack Wacko High. My son thinks he hears from me. <laughs> right? We just have to find out. As graciously as we can, excuse me, I know this is crazy, but I think God communicates to me sometimes, and I saw this mental image in my head about this. Does it mean anything to you? They're either going to say yes or they're going to say no. If they say no, you know what you say? Thank you for being patient with me while I'm trying to learn to hear God's voice. And if they say yes, you say, ooh, May I pray for you? They never say no at that point. Well, no, one person that I can think of said no. Everybody else, it's so shocking, the image. How did you know that? Well, you know, God, and I think he wants me to pray for you, and I don't know what he wants me to pray yet. Could we just be still for a few minutes while I wait to see what he wants me to pray? And believe me, they're patient at that point, like, yeah, give give me the goods. Okay? Let me see if we've got any other good examples of this. There's so many uh, on this, but... <sighs> what do you do with dreams? We're, get, we're coming to dreams. Yes. No, it's just a comment that, that I've um, had experience with people saying no. Uh-huh. And then coming back a month later, six months later, and saying yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's really cool, but for me, I would forget what it was. 
So I'd say, what, what, what did we talk about? And what exactly did, did I say to you? And why did it matter to you? And then can I pray for you, right? That's good. <laughs> we were doing this at the mall at Christmas time. Took the youth group to the mall. We're going to go accost strangers in the food court. It's so much fun. So we're accosting strangers in the food court. And, and I said, God, just like I said, throw me a bone. Give me an opening line. The Lord said, ask them if they could have anything they want for Christmas, but it's not a thing. What would they like this Christmas season? If God could do something for them this Christmas season, what would it be? Guy, stuff broke my heart. An old, old man said, I'm estranged to my daughter. I haven't talked to her for 20-some years. I give anything to spend Christmas with her. May I pray for you for reconciliation with your daughter? Yes. One person after another. Now, some people just said, get lost, you know. Well, that's fine. We're trying. This question has come anonymously. We don't know who gave it. <laughs> My curiosity is killing me. Okay. Mental images, they come as movies. Sometimes you're seeing a film clip from the person's past. Sometimes you're seeing something metaphorical or allegorical. You don't know, but you share it. Sometimes you're seeing a still picture. It doesn't really matter. Just describe it as best you can and see what they say. So far, so good? Okay, let's do the next one. Feelings. God can speak through our emotions. Sometimes, and this is a weird thing, you'll be in a group of people and, you, and you're in there in that room, just it, normal, you're you, you're happy, or you're neutral or whatever. You're just in a, in, a, in a peaceful, emotional state. And all of a sudden, a negative emotion will rise up inside of you real strong. And you're thinking, what was that? Why am I feeling that now? Nothing bad's happening in my life. It's just, it's just really strong. You can be experiencing in that moment something that someone else in the room is experiencing. It's a prophetic indication that there's a problem in the room about something. And oftentimes, if you'll say, is there anyone in the room feeling this? Like at home group or something, you know? Is there anyone in right now feeling this? And someone puts their hand up, then you know who you're supposed to pray for. And then it's just a matter of saying, can I pray for you? Now, this is important because these kind of words of knowledge, these, these knowings of what's going on in another person, they're not the prophetic message. They're flagging you to a problem. They're giving you legitimacy and access to speak into that person's life. But once you've identified that and they know it's legit, you still don't have the message yet or how you're supposed to pray. And it's awkward because <clears throat> I've had times when doing a meeting like this, <clears throat> and the Lord says, have, have that person over there stand up. And I say, would you please stand up? And they stand up. And I say, I have a word from the Lord from you. And they go, okay. And I go, it isn't here yet. That's a risk. I mean, you're really going to look dumb if the Lord doesn't follow through with the message. But I learned that that risk <clears throat> is important for my growth. And if I'm willing, and I'll say to the person, I know I don't have it yet, but I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to give you a word, so would you mind if we just were still for a few minutes? And I waited on the Lord. And very rarely is there no message. You know, if he got you to do something, it's usually because he intends following through with something. So it's the peace and the patience to sit and be still in that moment and just wait and say, God, what do you want to say to me? And then the message comes. So it's oftentimes a two-stage thing. Now, when you're praying with a team, two or three or four of you praying for someone, and one person gets a word of knowledge that cracks open an issue, that person who got that word of knowledge is not necessarily the one that's going to give the rest of the prophetic word. It may very quickly come to someone else in the team who says, wait a minute, I think, I think I'm getting something. 
So it's a team sport. It's not just one person's thing. In fact, there's a great security in ministering in twos and threes. Because then you realize, I don't have to carry the whole load. It's not all up to me to have everything. I had the start, someone else has the middle, and someone else has the conclusion. And that really builds community when, when you have something like that. So feelings. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's really overwhelming. Yeah. And it gets to the point, I don't like going where Dick's at. Yeah. I don't like going places because I feel it. It's mm-hmm. like Medina's happy and I'm like, oh, anger, like bubbling out. Is there a way to dampen that so I can well, yeah. navigate my life? I, w- I used to, when it first started for me, I stopped looking at people. Because when I would look at people in restaurants, I would start to know stuff and I didn't want to deal with it just exactly what you're describing. So I pulled away and just stuffed it. And then I realized this is a gift and I should be doing it responsibly and I'm not. So I think the key is this. You're highly prophetic. So you're getting a lot of data flooding in whether you like it or not. That's just the nature of being highly prophetic. But listen, here's 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 the comforting word. You don't have to deliver every one of those things. You're picking up all sorts of things, but it's... Not a pro, it's not the time for that person to hear their issue. You're picking it up, but you don't have to apply it. You ask the Lord, and you say, you know, should I be saying something to this person? And most of the time, he'll say, no, just quickly pray for them and forget about it. And just like in my head. Yes, you just pray for them. See, much prophetic um, guidance is for the purpose of intercession. And young prophets in a church really need to understand this, and they don't. The problem with, uh, with early, for young prophets, pro- pro- not prophets, that's a mistake, prophetic people who are going to end up with a ministry in prophetic gifting. For them, they think that every single thing pops into their head needs to be said on Sunday morning. Uh, through that. For the whole congregation. And we're only going to take an hour and a half to do it. There'll still be time to take an offering, Pastor, so don't worry, everything's going to be fine. And saying no to them is really, really hard. But what we got to understand is much prophetic insight is for the purpose of intercession. It's military intelligence as to what the enemy's trying to do so you can launch prayer bombs and short-circuit his thing. It's, the person probably shouldn't even hear what you have to say. They won't need to because you prayed. So the first thing, you run it through the filter of asking the Lord, is this something you want me to pray Or is this something you want me to act on now? Right away, a whole lot of the stress is going to go away for you. Because most of the time he's going to say, no, you just pray that. But sometimes he'll say, go ahead and say it. And then you have a confidence to say, I know this is crazy, but I was just looking at you and this overwhelming emotion rose up inside and it really hurt. For some reason I hurt for you and I don't know why. Is something really bad going on in your life right now? And they get that shocked look and go, Yeah, and you say, can I pray for you for a minute? Just take a minute to pray for you. And most of the time, they'll say yes. And that may lead to a conversation. It may lead to a phone call. It may lead to inviting them to church. Who knows where it leads? Remember the the guy with the water and the two old people that encountered him first and they're just moving him closer to something and someone else gets to harvest? It could be like that. But don't be afraid of what you have because it's really useful. Yeah, it's a gift of empathy. Yeah, but now that you become a Christian, you see, whatever that was is in the service of God. And that means that he's, he's probably going to use it fairly often to help people. So no, you don't have to fear it anymore. And the things you feel are not your responsibility. The only responsibility you have is to ask God what he wants you to do with it and then do what God says. And most of the time, that's going to be not worry. Just pray it, walk away. Okay? Anything else on that point? Okay. What might those emotions be? Uh, Fear? Sense of loss? Despair? (coughs) Depression? Joy? Celebration? Happiness? The whole range of emotions.
<laughs> spoken like spoken like a true depressive. We were praying um, on a on a ministry trip. We were praying one time, and I was praying for people at the front. And um, you know, John Wimber always said, "Pray with your eyes open, because you'll see what God's doing." And uh, there was this girl there, and we were praying for her. And and as I was praying, she had her eyes closed, you know, like this. And this little little trace of a smile just kind of popped up. And I looked at that, and I thought, hmm. Wonder what that is. In my head, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll announce it. I said, you have the joy of the Lord. A little smile. I said, we're going to ask for more. So I laid hands on her. I said, more of the joy of the Lord. Lord, bring it. Touch her. Well, she starts laughing, overwhelmed laughter. And pretty soon she's doubled up. And the girls on each side of her are now laughing. And it's turning into a little laugh fest. So people started coming up to watch what was happening. And I said, anyone here needs the joy of the Lord, touch her. And I don't know why I said that, but it was a cool idea. Well, they started touching her. Pretty soon, there's wreckage all over the front of the church. Bodies lying, you know, convulsing with laughter. And it just goes out like this. And it just tore the place apart. It all started with one little sign, one little something that... I saw with my eyes and had the confidence to announce spiritually because something's going on and the Lord said, that's the joy of the Lord. So, yeah, you know, we're kind of hunting dogs, kind of sniffing around and, and catching the scent and then going after it. But that takes a certain amount of risk. But why not, right? So an emotion, I call them unbidden emotions. Sounds like a Harlequin romance novel, doesn't it? Unbidden emotions. And the first one are unbidden thoughts. No, unbidden images. The sequel, unbidden emotions. And now, unbidden thoughts. Not just, emo not just what you see in your mind's eye, not just what you might be feeling, thoughts that pop into your head. And this now, for me, is the number one way. Almost all the time it comes as just some unbidden little thought that shoots through my head that I'm tempted to think is just not important. But you start to pay attention to these random thoughts that come through your mind, and they can lead you to the most amazing prophetic words. It may be one word, fear, anger, sorrow, rejection. It can happen in Safeway stores and, and, and uh, gas stations and bus stops and church and at work. You're just sitting there and some random thought about somebody goes through your mind and the temptation always is just to dismiss it. But what if it's God? You take a risk. I've got so many stories. I don't want to bog down with stories, but I'm trying to think if there's any that are particularly, particularly relevant. Whatever that word is, share it just the way you got it, just like the image, just like the feelings. This thought came into my mind. I don't know if it's God. Can I share it with you? Are you open? Are you interested? If they say yes, you do it. It can lead on to more. Okay, scripture verses. Does the Holy Spirit have the ability to use the Bible prophetically? Yes. Should we? Yes. So when he gives you an address of Scripture, he reminds you of a verse, the same thing. Can I share this verse with you? Now, I can still remember one back in when Renewal and Holy Spirit was first coming to our church. I was kind of leading it by default taking a great deal of heat from the old guard that didn't want to go that direction. Slandered regularly, all sorts of things that were unfair. And I was really feeling badly beat down about it. And the pastor's wife came down the aisle during communion and she dropped a piece of paper in my lap and said, I got this from God for you this morning. And it was a verse that said, 
You are my servant. I have chosen you. I have not rejected you. And I read that, and I tell you what, it was like God just said it to me. It was, I, I still go to it. And that was 30 years ago. I'll still go to that verse and read it and remind myself, I'm his servant and he hasn't forgotten me. That's how powerful one word from the Lord can be. And when it's dumped in your lap when you really need it, it's exactly the medicine for your soul. So we should be people of the word that are prepared to share the word with one another, not just as an intellectual lesson, but as something that they really need to hear. Have you ever had that happen? Come, have you ever had someone give you a, a Bible passage and it just, just spoke to your heart what you needed to hear? So we need to be open to that as well. Um, This is crazy, but God, I said it in the beginning, God may speak to us through our imaginations. And this is where we're conjuring up some sort of mental scenario, some sort of image of something, a thing taking place. And we think we're making something up. But the source of that imagination was the Holy Spirit. And it's happened to me a couple times one time our small group was going to be on a Wednesday night. I was having my quiet time in the morning and I lapsed into what I call my mighty man of God fantasy. I see myself doing powerful things for God. And you know, I take this as pure pride and pure ego and wherever I, whenever I do it, I catch myself and say, stop it, stop it. You're doing your mighty man of God fantasy. And in this fantasy, it was Wednesday night and we were having communion and... Um, this new girl in the group came up to me. Her name was Jan. And I'm giving her the bread and the wine. And then I pause and I say, when you were a child, these are the words that your mother spoke over you routinely. This is the way she cursed you as a child. And this is the effect it's had in your life. And as I, I'm saying that in my imagination, I catch myself and I repent. Stop it. You know, you're doing this mighty man of God thing where you're imagining yourself giving these amazing prophetic words. That's just self-interest, right? So stop it. So I stop it and I forget about it. We, Wednesday night comes and she comes forward to me for communion and I've forgotten about my prayer time in the morning. I'm not thinking. I've lost track of that a long time ago. And I'm giving her the bread and the wine and all of a sudden I say to her, Jen, this is what your mother used to say to you when you were a child and, and she cursed you. And I start repeating this. And it's, it's like word for word. And I'm having a deja vu experience. And I said, I feel like I've said this to you before. Because I hadn't remembered my quiet time. I said, I feel like, have I said this to you before? She goes, no. But everything you're saying is true. And I said, I'm just having the strongest feeling of deja vu. And I don't understand it. I feel like I've said this to you before. But anyway, here's what the Lord says to you. Really healing moment, really wonderful. I go to bed that night, and then I realize, wait a minute, that's that goofy thing I did in the morning. That wasn't me. That was my imagination. I thought I was making that up to feel good about myself. That was the Holy Spirit. Guys, isn't that the weirdest thing? That he has access even to our imagination? And another time, I was on vacation at the coast, and I just went there to go fishing with my dad. I worked really hard. Um, I was exhausted. I didn't want to do ministry. I didn't want to do anything. just wanted to go fishing. So we're going out fishing. It's great. And my dad says, well, you know, my friend Pat, we're in a prayer team together, and she's got this friend that's dying of cancer. And um, will you come and pray for her tomorrow in the afternoon? I didn't want to do it. I mean, I'm there to fish. I'm ministered out. I don't want to do any more ministry. But what do you say to your parents? They feed me. They take me fishing. They put up with me. I said, okay, yeah, let's go. So we're driving over there. I'm sitting in the back seat. And in the back seat, I lapse into my mighty man of God scenario. And we walk up to the front door in my imagination. And Pat's there, my mom and dad. And we're going to meet the new girl. And we ring the doorbell. And the door opens. And Pat says, uh, this is my, my friends, David and Barbara. And this is their son, Mark. Mark, this is, and she goes to give me the woman's name. And in my mighty man of God imagination, I say, no, no, Pat, I'll tell her her name. Your name is Jean. 
And this is what the Lord says to you. And I'm just going to give the word in my imagination that the Lord's giving her in my imagination, okay? And I catch myself and realize, you're so arrogant. Here you are imagining you're just going to walk in there with a mighty word of the Lord, and it's going to be really overwhelming, and you're just such a slime ball. And I catch myself and I repent. God, I'm sorry about making this all about me. You know, I'm sorry. I'll just, I'll just, just watch and wait and do whatever. We get to the front door. Pat says, this is my friend David and Barbara. This is their son, uh, Mark. This is Jean. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, God. I just imagined that. And then I said, and I cut it off before the word came. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. I mean, I, I thought it was me. I didn't realize it was you. I said, give me the word that I was going to say at the front door. What is it? What is it? What is it? And the whole time we're praying for her physical healing, I'm sitting there going, please, God, please, what was it you wanted to say to her? And he's not saying anything. And it's getting, I'm getting more and more frustrated. And now we're leaving. We're walking to the door. And I'm getting up to leave. And the Lord says, she has two sons. They're not walking with me. She's afraid that when she dies, they will, they will never come to me. And the only reason she wants to live is to see her boys come to me. And I said, do you have two boys? And she said, yes. And I said, are you worried about if you die, they're not going to come to the Lord? And she said, yes, that's the one thing I'm really worried about. I said, can we pray about that? Yes. And we prayed, and God gave her peace. And she went ahead and died. But she died in peace. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So we even have to pay attention. More burden, right? More burden. We even have to pay attention to our imaginations because you never know when he might be speaking. So run the thoughts. Run the emotions. Run the pictures. Run the Bible verses. Just run it through your mind quickly when they happen and say, Lord, is this something from you? And he's either going to say yes or he's going to say no. He can, he can speak in the most amazing ways. Dreams. You asked about dreams. Dreams are a common way. For me, not that often, but for a lot of people, God speaks in their dreams. But remember, in their dreams, he speaks with a word, an emotion, a picture, a scenario, or something. So the same, the same principles apply to dream uh, messages as apply to any waking, real-life experiences. You would ask the same questions of what happened in the dream. Is this something you want to use for this person? Does this dream mean anything? I'm going to tell you one, and then we're going to go to practice, okay? This one changed my life. This one saved my ministry. I'm 68 when I was about 63, about 63. I was completely disillusioned. I didn't want to do ministry anymore. And I was literally counting the days to retirement. I'd worked it out. 66, maximum Social Security for retirement, at least at 66, that's when I'm out. I'm done. I can't take this anymore. And what I couldn't take was this. We pastors are in the life-changing business, and when we don't see lives changing, we're wasting our time. That's how it feels. Right? I mean, if you don't see enough lives change, why am I doing this? There's other things I could be doing. And it wasn't, I, I wasn't seeing any lives changing, at least not to, to worth the effort. The cost benefit was not good enough. And I was depressed. And I'd lost heart. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said in a prayer time, and I wrote it in my journal, you are far more influential than you think. And I said, oh, really? And turned over the page and said, I see no evidence in my life whatsoever that that's true. So I'm just going to keep on retiring. And a year went by, and I had a dream. Back in... Uh, 92 or 93, 
we took a team to Russia, to the Kola Peninsula up north, the big naval base up there, submarines and stuff. And it was an amazing trip. And in my dream, which was 20-some years later, Shelley and I are walking the streets of Moscow in, in May. It's a beautiful day. It's sunny and nice. And we're walking down the street, and I see coming at me on the sidewalk a guy that I is kind of, I recognize him. And I think, wait a minute. It's impossible, but I think I know that person. And the closer we get, the more I see who he is. And I realize, this is in the dream, he's the interpreter that we used for that trip 20-some years ago. And in the dream, he's wearing the same shirt and the same pants and the same shoes that I was wearing when I was there. Now, you know how real a dream feels? Like it really, really, really feels real? So I'm thinking, this is crazy. He's, got, he's wearing the clothes I was wearing when I was here. But I don't want to embarrass him. Why are you wearing my clothes? Where did you get them? You know, Did you steal them from me? So I say, hey, let's have a Coke. So we sit down to have a Coke. And we're just talking. And two doors down, there's an upstairs window that's open. And I hear this guitar playing. It's finger-picking style guitar playing. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's really familiar. Wait a minute. That sounds like me. Then a voice in English starts singing a song I wrote when I was 19 years old. 19 years old. That's 40, at this point, 40-some years ago. And he's singing it in English, and he's finger-picking it, and it's my song. Now, guys, you know the dream, it feels like it's real? Okay, so you know this is a surreal, strange experience. Like a guy's wearing my clothes, and another guy from whatever is, the song was never published, it's never recorded, I played it for four friends. I mean, you know, this is the other side of the world, 40-some years later. So I wake up in a state of shock, and I said, God, this has to mean something. I mean, the guy's wearing my clothes, and this other guy's singing my song. What are you trying to tell me? Quote, you are far more influential than you think. And I still don't believe it. I mean, I said, no, I'm not. There's no evidence of that. It's not happening. And I'm retiring anyway. Nice try. Good trick. Didn't work. Ten days later, I'm having lunch with one of the guys in the church at a Chinese restaurant that I love. I've been eating Chinese since I was little. Dad started taking us to Chinese restaurants when I was about eight or nine years old. I love Chinese food. And you always get a fortune cookie, right? What did it say? You are far more influential than you think. Guys, just rock my world. I said, oh God. I took it home and laminated it. No, I took it home and Shelly laminated it. It sits on my computer screen every morning when I get up to start the day. It says, you're far more influential than you think. I said to myself, you know, I don't see any evidence of that, but I'm going to act as if it's true. I wrote the first book because Shelly made me and loved the experience and then wrote the second book, and the third book's about to come out, and there's a fourth one that's 70% done. And the conference requests started coming in spontaneously, like, why are they calling me? What's this about? And people started to say, you know, the anointing that's on your messages, it's gone way up. What's going on? And I go, I don't know, but I really like it. My whole desire to do ministry was restored by a prophetic word and a cookie. Fortune cookie prophecy, the cheesiest stuff in the world. And God actually used it. People listen to me. You're far more influential than you think. You, you are oozing influence around you all the time. Who do you want it to be for? Pretend you have influence because you do and start to understand you influence the people around you for good or for bad every single day. Which way do you want to go? Because you're called. 
You're called to a purpose. Your life isn't about you. It's much bigger than you and your fulfillment. But your fulfillment comes with being in league with him. Right? So dreams. When you don't, here's how I judge if a dream is from God or not. And this works for me. I don't know if it'll work for you, but it works for me. We dream almost every night. A lot of us dream a lot. But when we wake up in the morning, mostly we don't remember them. There's little images and little, little niches of this or that. But when a dream is vivid, and you wake up in the morning, and it's, it's there, it's vivid, and you remember the details, write it down as soon as you can. And then take it in, in your quiet time to the Lord and say, what are you trying to say to me? And if you can't get an interpretation, take it to somebody you trust who's wise and who knows you and run through the dream together and pray over it and see if the meaning comes. And if the meaning doesn't come at that point, set it aside in a journal. And it may make sense later. But those vivid ones that really get to you and they're, they're really clear and you remember them, write them down because they may very well be from the Lord. And when you get a dream about somebody else, share it with them. I got a dream about you, and, and this is what I saw, and this is what you were doing, etc. And, and many times it is prophetic. Yeah, I, I like to, and I have very few of them, but I'll go, uh, because I know it's God saying something, and I'll start typing it out, and more comes yeah. as I'm typing it, yeah. stuff I didn't remember, and then just, yeah. start, just writing it down so yeah. that Yeah, as soon, as soon as you can. Well, it's fresh, because you, you start forgetting right away. Like you say, but you, you recall it, and then it's coming out, and now you've got it, and now you can sp- spend time praying over it and waiting on the Lord for what he might want to say. Yeah, we're going to, right now. Okay, introduce that a little before the seminar. No, I, I can do it. Oh, okay. Okay, um... Shall we do it? Is it time? Okay, let's do this. Now, this is hard because you guys have been together for a long time. Find the strangest person in the room. Well, no, find the biggest stranger in the room. The person you know the least. Not the strangest because you'll all want to come to me. But (laughs) Dibs. Girls to girls, guys to guys. But before you move, can I take your picture? for y'all. I have all your names written down except for a couple. But the word that I got for tonight just I, I was just in the back walking around. I really clearly heard, what if tonight you didn't talk yourself out of it? <laughs> okay? What if? What if tonight you got something comes and it takes like this. You know, we're going to we're going to ask the Lord said the parameters and it comes like this and we talk ourselves out of it as soon as it comes so we've canceled it out before we've even let it land so tonight what if you didn't talk yourself out of it boy you guys been schooled (laughs) I wouldn't cross that woman okay So look around, find the person you know the least, and pair up. Don't tell them anything. Don't don't introduce yourself. Just find somebody and sit down, spread out in the room so that like gas molecules in a vacuum, just make as much distance between each other as you can. 